Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. We are officially on episode 165. James, we are here with James Mackey, who is the CEO of Secure Vision, uh, who's going to explain what that is and why that's important in general, and to understand where his context of answers will come from as it relates to sales and or leadership and those kinds of things. Uh, obviously, we've got a quick shout out to our sponsors of Lead 411. Um, we also need to talk to, about Findem as well as Gong.io. And what's the fourth one? Predictive, Scott? Perception Predict. Perception Predict, right? Which helps you determine um, whether or not people are actually going to hit their number. Um, Findem also, uh, just because they're new sponsors, we like to talk about them a little bit. They um, help you find those A players who are in a passive job search, meaning they already have the job that they think they want until they've discovered you. So be sure to check those folks out as well as Gong and Lead 411. So thanks to our sponsors. James, first and foremost, where are you dialing in from? I'm in Northern Virginia, Sterling. Got it. Cool. Familiar with the area. Not entirely, but I know where (laughs) Virginia is based on my uh, son's fifth grade geography. Um, (laughs) It's tough. What, um, and just out of curiosity, tell people what Secure Vision does, you know, what it's like, you know, just even from a sales perspective, you know, what's a sales cycle like, what's your average deal size, just so people understand where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I started Secure Vision and it was a recruitment firm. Initially, all we did was a contingent search. And since then, we've expanded. We do a lot of retained business as well. Um, we also do um, subscription and RPO. Um, which is you know, more so ongoing support. And we've most recently opened up uh, more of a division specifically focused to outsourcing. So we actually have a subsidiary in uh, Bucharest, Romania. Uh, so we have a, a pretty cool range of services. We've helped with um, you know, greenhouse implementations and other talent solutions as well. And we're primarily working with uh, hypergrowth venture capital backs offer as a service growth stage companies. Um, they could range from like series A to B to late stage organizations. Um, you know, we've worked with companies like WeWork, Grubhub, uh, ThoughtSpot, MuleSoft, uh, a lot of great organizations to help them hire and, and other talent related projects. So uh, our deal sizes can, can range. The search is a slightly, you know, uh, more transactional, but then on our retained models, we can have, you know, annual contracts that range anywhere from 60 to a few hundred thousand. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit all over the place, but we're primarily uh, targeting uh, SMB growth stage organizations. We have a few publicly traded clients, but by and large, it's the growth stage SaaS companies that we're partnering with. Now, <clears throat> there's, this is, there's something interesting that you mentioned because you said you mentioned assisting with implementations. And I, and I think you used um, our friend Sean Murray's company, Greenhouse, as, a, as an example. Mm-hmm. It, I'm thinking of this term, and I've never heard of it before, but you can tell me if it exists. It's almost like you do recruiting ops. That's what, that, that's what I think of. I think of that because you got sales yeah. ops or revenue ops who are helping implement these tools. I've never heard of like this recruiting ops kind of angle. Is this, is this a thing? Am I coining this phrase right now or is this a thing? I think you're, I think you could coin it. I, no one ever talks about it. I think it's, uh, so my background before starting Secure Vision was in sales. So I was an SDR account executive. I came up in that, that world uh, on the services side, not in SaaS. Um, but, uh, you know, I, so I always looked at things in recruitment and talent more so from like a sales funnel perspective. I think, you know, everything you do in sales and marketing, uh, you know, a lot of that you're doing in talent. Um, but I don't think 
you know, whether I think a lot of it has to do with budget for HR uh, solutions, it's not quite as big as what you find in the revenue space. So people don't really break down the science of talent acquisition like they do in sales, right? Um, and so that's what we, like, that's what I'm passionate about personally. Like I, I don't mind doing, you know, I, we do searches, uh, you know, one-off searches all the time, but it's, to me, we, we really like getting deep into process tech and building the team. And, mm -hmm. and we kind of use that as the framework, like process tech team to go through and, and do a, a, you know, an analysis of the environment and then just implement best practices. How do we bake that into technology so it's consistent, reportable, and scalable? And then how do we get the right team in place to manage that process? Um, and how do, you figure out, <clears throat> how do you figure out what the right team looks like in a company like yours? <clears throat> There's God knows how many articles and, and blogs and people's opinions on like, how to hire the best AE in a SaaS company or how to hire for an SDR, right? How do you hire the best talent for, for your, your roles? Like a sorcerer? I don't even know what you call it. It's like, is there no SDR AE for a recruiting company or is it like sourcing or implementation? How do you, how do you find somebody? What do you look for there that, that's going to predict somebody's uh, going to be successful in, in those kind of roles? Sure. So I think it's um, over the years, um, I, I've definitely learned a lot more about this. And it's kind of funny. So I started my secure vision when I was 23. And so I didn't have a whole lot of, <laughs> you know, a ton of experience. And so I made a lot of very expensive mistakes. And uh, I made, man, I made so many mistakes. And all of those mis mistakes have now kind of laid the foundation to where we're actually growing and building. And it's kind of cool. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I made probably every wrong decision when it came to hiring for my own team that I possibly could make, which is hilarious. Uh, because, you know, we like what? started like, off as a recruiting company, but uh, at like, the beginning, like, we made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> like, what, like what hiring mistake? Like what kind I, of hiring? Yeah. So when I started the business, I, so we, we grew incredibly fast at, at first because I had the sales background and we were also leveraging LinkedIn heavily in like 2015 and it was even less you know saturated at that point. So we would just straight up like do something called candidate marketing where we would drop you know, hey, just got off the phone with this account executive in New York City, 100K average deal size, 110% quota achievement over the past three years, working for a growth stage SaaS company, currently on the move, looking to join an earlier stage company to, you know, whatever the story is, we'd post that story. And then we get a lot of uh, inbounds as well that I would just, you know, get on the phone and we would just close and sign up. And so we were expanding quite rapidly. At one point, we were signing up eight to 12 clients a month. We did you know, about 36, uh, over a little over 30 accounts in a three month period. And so one of the initial mistakes that I made is, Hey, we have all this open headcount, such a great opportunity. I'm going to go out and hire, like, I think, uh, I hired like 10 people, uh, <laughs> you know, within a very short period of time. But the only way I was able to do that is I hired everyone at an entry level. Right. And so what I ultimately, the realization that I had for, and this is for me in services was, you know, I'd rather have a team, a smaller team, that of, of like killers that are just really good at sales, like can manage the full desk, the whole relationship, then have a bigger team of, 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 of more junior reps specific. And again, this is very specific to my business, but because whenever you're hiring, it's a lot of the, the, you know, the complexity comes from the fact that it's very situational and you really have to understand, particularly in sales, like what's the point of impact for the reps? Like, you know, what, what, what is the enablement, uh, you know, environment look like? what type of resources and support and structure and process and technology is going to be in place to help them be successful. And that's really going to have to find their point of impact um, in terms of like the work they're going to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So are they going to be accountable for, you know, doing all this stuff without having much of a support structure. And if that's the case, 
you know, making sure that somebody comes from an environment where they have to be scrappy and, and resourceful, you know, for instance. So I mean, it's, it's pretty complex, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the judgment that I have now was built on going through and making a lot of mistakes in the early days and getting to the point now where I have a much better pulse on the type of people we need give, to be successful. Can you, you know? give some examples of impact though? It's a good word, it's, mm-hmm. but it's buzzy. Sure. So like point of impact being, you know, for instance, if you're hiring an account executive, right? Like this would be very common in our, our little universe, right? Like growth stage SaaS companies. When you're hiring an account executive, you really want to understand the environment that they're coming from. Are they coming from an environment where they have, you know, an SDR team, a sales engineering team, they have the totally decked out uh, tech stack and, you know, their point of impact is a little bit more siloed in scope where, you know, they have a big marketing engine and an SDR team that's, you know, providing those qualified, solid qualified opportunities that they can then move forward with. Or do they come from an environment where they're doing uh, full life cycle sales, at least uh, until the close? And, you know, or maybe they don't have the, the entire tech stack in place. Maybe processes haven't been built out. Maybe they're still defining or changing an ICP. And, you know, those types of things, you know, when you, when you're hiring the sales talent, you need to understand if somebody comes from an incredible uh, support structure that's built out with process technology enablement and other, you know, specialists, and if they're thrown into an environment where there isn't that support structure, it's, it's particularly for senior level reps, it's just been my experience that that's a very difficult transition. So understanding what's the point of impact of their current company, what are they driving? So how do you, that, how do you that, aligns. that person, right? So let's, I'll give you an example, right? Someone yeah. decides, you know, whether it's earlier or even later in their career, they've been at Salesforce, right? Or Oracle or Zoom for a couple of years, right? They have this tremendous support system, tech stack, savviness to them, but they're like, you know what? I need to go early stage, right? I got, I want to, I want to take my moonshot, right? I want to be one of the first reps. How do you interview that person to see if they can still be scrappy? Right. Because to some extent, yeah, maybe we do want that seasoned veteran to be on the team because they can help us go up market or, or define that mark or whatever. Right. Um, how do you interview that person as the, not necessarily as the recruiter, but also as the, as the, as the hiring manager, as that VP of sales or, mm-hmm. or that CEO who's looking for their first salesperson? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So like if we put ourselves in the shoes of like a shoes of a, like a VP of sales, that's identifying, you know, whether or not somebody can be resourceful. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I, 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 there are some things you can do to interview and I'll get into that. I think the one thing is ideally if they are coming from a, a large company with a bigger support system that at some point they've worked for a growth stage company. So ideally it's like if they have that, some of that enterprise or some of that more established experience. Maybe they haven't, right? Maybe they've been at Salesforce for five years, right? They came out of college, they got the SDR job, they then got promoted to AE. You know, I think the path is often SMB AE and then you can move up from there. Um, But, you know, but, but this person's still early enough in their career, but they've got several years of experience, but they've never built it before. How do you interview for that? I think so. So I would be, I'd be hesitant to interview someone from that, from that background, I think for, for in a specific where it's very early stage where you need somebody that's proven just because I, I would always be looking at like, how do we, how do we minimize risk? Like there's always a risk when you hire people mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe this person could be very convincing that they could, they could do well in that environment. But 
it's still a greater risk than finding somebody who's been in it. But let's say that you are interviewing for, you know, as you said, so we're interviewing somebody and we need to understand, I, you know, I'd be asking questions around, um, you know, just their, again, their, their point of impact, you know, how many hours they work, how work driven they kind of seem, um, you know, maybe examples of times where they've taken on additional projects or done process improvement or, you know, some, something related to going outside the normal scope of their JD, you know, people that are like outcome focused that have a good pulse in terms of business acumen and looking at what are the, what are the business outcomes we're trying to achieve and, and maybe going outside of, you know, the scope of their JD to help solve bigger problems for the company or for the team, you know, that might be something, um, that I'd probably be, I'd focus on for, uh, if so we were considering. Scott, only because I know Scott's a master recruiter, yeah. right? Scott, Scott can, Scott is a sorcerer when it comes to hiring people as much as he won't admit it. Um, Scott, what do you think? What, what would be some of the things that you would encourage to look for and interview those people? I think that they really have to understand the environment that they would be going into. <clears throat> and I think most don't. And I, and I think that's probably where some of James's uh, comments, you know, are coming from, um, you know, because I don't think people are self-aware enough to understand the massive difference going from like a Salesforce to like a, you know, Qualia when I had two reps, right? And we were still trying to figure, figure things out. Um, so I want somebody who truly understands and I think I would want somebody who says, I specifically want to be thrown into the land of chaos. And here's why, <clears throat> right? Like I'll listen to that. I'll listen to that, that spiel and that pitch. Mm -hmm. um, and, and ultimately, I think the last thing would be, I want to know what their kind of longer term goal is, right? Like why do they want to go there? Because what do they want to end up doing with this particular experience. I think those three things somebody has to ace with me. Um, or I think I'm in James's camp where I don't, you know, I'm pretty hesitant. So that that's why you hired me way back when. Yeah, right. exactly. So yeah. exactly. <laughs> and and to the opposite, I, I support James decision, which is why I didn't hire you. <laughs> Touche. Um, yeah. There's obviously exceptions. I just think it's like, it's when you're setting up like a process for a company, right? Like you want to do things that, okay, there's obviously going to be exceptions, but what do we do to minimize the risk and maximize the likelihood if we get the right person in the seat that are going to help, that's going to help us achieve our business outcomes. And, and so that's, that's where you start looking at like averages and stuff like that. Now, obviously you it should be like more like a calculus exercise where you're actually like that defined for that specific role, but sometimes having general kind of like, philosophies can be beneficial yeah. toward like just minimizing risk for the company. Now I want, I want to know about sourcing right now. And I'm, I'm trying to take my own, I'm trying to take my own cap off because I know what I would do, but I know this sounds very brash. I know a lot of people wouldn't be able to do what I can do in terms of recruiting. So like our job boards dead. Does like, do you, does anybody look for candidates on like indeed and, you know, fuck monster career <laughs> kind of stuff. Like is everything yeah. like LinkedIn only like where, where else do you even find people? I don't know. I wouldn't even, you know what I mean? Where, where do people yeah. look? People come to you and have this kind of problem. Yeah. So particularly for sales talent, LinkedIn's where it's at. Um, 
I, I have just throughout the years made one-off investments. Um, most recently with Indeed, like a couple of years back where we, I mean, we went all, we went, we gave it, I, we figured out, okay, what's the minimum time we need to really test the ROI. And uh, it's pretty transactional since it's a job board. So we committed to, I think like 45 days or something like that at a run rate of like 3000 bucks a month. And so that's, you know, a significant annualized con- you know, contract value for an SMB, our company. And so we really need to see a result. And I think we had like, out of all the resumes we got for revenue oriented roles, like, like three of them seemed okay. And we never, you know, nothing came of it. And so we ended up cutting it and in 40, investing more in LinkedIn. In 45 days, you got three decent resumes. Yeah, I got, we got like a, like three, three to five decent resumes. And I think we had a couple conversations, but it was just, it was pretty bad. And again, I think keeping in mind that we're working with a lot of growth stage SaaS companies, I mean, there's different industries and different spaces where it's going to be more relevant. Um, yeah. But uh, for us, it's just not like now, now I will say that there's, for instance, if you had with, with greenhouse, it'll automatically push to uh, indeed. And I think monster as well for free. If you have, if you have greenhouse, it'll just kind of push those out. And then LinkedIn limiting limited postings, what it'll do is it'll actually, it has like, it's like an aggregate job board. So not all the jobs you see on LinkedIn are sponsored jobs that people are paying for. LinkedIn will actually pull jobs from different job boards and put it on LinkedIn. So it, there still can be value in the posting in the free slots for Indeed and the other job boards because LinkedIn limited posting will actually pull those and put it on your company page. Um, and so that's actually something, you know, you, sometimes you can get good inbounds on, on LinkedIn or I suppose from the other job boards, but the strategy really should be uh, more so outbound for sales talent, outbound sourcing efforts on LinkedIn. So yeah. I want to I go back a little bit and sort of go back to that part where you're talking about hiring the right person, right? Yeah, for sure. And, if, you know, part of that is culture, right? Like, can they fit in this culture? And, you know, we interviewed a, a woman a few weeks ago and she had this, I, I felt like was a brilliant quote and I've been using it a lot, which is that, you know, culture isn't just defined by whether or not we like people, right? It's also defined by how easy is it to get shit done in the organization, right? And that's a, an interesting place. So one, just curious if you think that's a, a, a good quote, but also you are trying to help define culture in those organizations. And how do you help organizations define culture? What, what are the things you encourage them to think about? Because that's, that's a big part of the recruitment process is yeah. not just can they come in and do the job and execute, but there needs to be some kind of alignment on lots of different things. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a cool quote. And, and I, you know, I do, I think I, I, I do agree with that. Um, in terms of like helping companies define culture, I feel like it's just based. It's what are the outcomes, right? Like what are the outcomes we're trying to achieve and then just determining like what framework are we going to work within to solve these problems? So, you know, whatever, like it depend, for a lot of growth stage companies, I mean, you know, I think it's, 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 you know, they're very outcome focused, they're very growth focused. And so, you know, finding people that are aligned with that uh, kind of out, outcome focused mentality is very important. Um, Which I think goes back to what you were saying earlier about like, look, you can't go hire you know, the fortune 100 rep to come into a series A, B company. Right. Um, unless, unless you're, 
Yeah, exactly. Unless it's like you're just pushing hard as hell to build out the support structure, right? Like you're building out, you know, and, and you have to have the right people and resources in place to do that. And I'd say the majority companies at that series A, B stage don't have the resources to build out the enablement environment to really get the value that they're looking for out of a rep that comes from, you know, one of the one of enterprise players. Yeah. Wanna, I want to go in, a, in another different direction, right? One of the topics that's been, you know, started last year in 2019, it's certainly, you know, crossed the chasm in my opinion, or, or is approaching crossing the chasm of, of the revenue team, right? The revenue ops, the, um, the CRO role, um, but there's still a lot of people who aren't there, you know, and again, based on your experience and who you talk to, have you seen people adopting that earlier in the life cycle of their organization? Or is it still the, hey, you know, I need to find, you know, my first or second rep, then I'll worry about a VP or a CRO. I'm just curious where you're seeing that. Because I feel like that's all part of the conversation at some point. Sure. I think um, I've started to see like a gradual trend over the years to investing faster in uh, process and technology and optimization prior to scaling out. I feel like even when I started the company and, and before that, I feel like there was more of a sense of like, hey, let's go out and hire, you know, we just got funding, let's go out and hire like 10 people you know, off the bat. And I feel like now companies are starting to, to, to take a little bit more mature approach where it's like, hey, well, let's optimize our, our process and our technology to get the most out of and help the people that we've employed. And then let's gradually start to hire. So I, I am starting to see, you know, for instance, ops, sales ops, sales enablement roles pop up in earlier stage organizations than maybe when I had started the company. Yeah. Right, right away. That's, you know, yeah. I think you got more people out there doing what I do, which is like, nope, I'm not taking that VP of sales job, James. You know why? <laughs> because they won't let me hire a sales ops person or a rev ops person straight away. Yeah. I, I, th I think revenue leaders are under, starting to understand more the value of revenue ops and staying like in their own lane. Like I could go try to build all this stuff. I'm going to do terrible with it. And not only <laughs> am I going to do a terrible job that somebody's going to have to fix later, it's going to distract me from all the other work that I need to be doing. That, I mean, maybe I'm being overly optimistic that that's the trend, but I think, I think there's a little bit more of that going on. Well, I think, I think it's one of those things. It's like, you know, companies learn the hard way, right? Yeah. You know, it's like where, you know, you, you go through it enough and if you don't have the right ops and enablement in place, it can, it can be, become a big challenge. So it just makes sense to invest in those things prior to scaling out a massive org where, you know, you're, you got a lot of your reps working at like 60% potential capacity because it's the right process and tech and leadership or whatever else isn't in place to enable the, the sales force. Um, well, I, got, yeah. I, got, I got another question. I'm sort of bouncing around on some topics, but these are the ones that we talk about a lot. And I think people need to keep hearing them. Um, when you're working with your particular companies, right? Um, you know, I've been a big believer. I think Scott has too, of you always hire two reps at minimum, right? Cause you're not necessarily committing. Now, Scott's, you know, for those, for those who are just listening, Scott held up three, um, three reps. And so, um, because you don't know where it's going to go and you're not really committing to three annual salaries, right? You're committing to, you know, just under one salary for 90 days to figure out which is the right fit. And if you've done it right, 
or you know, you've struck gold, two or three of them will be there and you can accelerate faster. So I'm curious, does that conversation come up with, with the early stage companies or even your later stage companies? Because I, I still, you know, you know, it's a massive resource suck to hire one person to train them and then have them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's just, I mean, I feel like that's like so situational though, right? Like for, particularly for early stage companies, and a lot of it depends on, on, on budget and financing and what they're able to do. But yeah, I think particularly for earlier stage companies, just like being able to optimize by onboarding a couple, two, three people at once is, is ideal. Um, you know, but I, I still think that you really just ironing out a talent acquisition vetting process properly so that regardless if you're hiring, even if you hire multiple people at once, you know, the cost of a bad hire is still pretty expensive. It's, there's a huge opportunity cost, even if you are splitting some of that onboarding time between another rep, um, you know, making sure that you have the right kind of vetting process in place to, to, to one, maximize the, the you know, to, to primarily to, to optimize the, the, the likelihood that the person's going to work out, right? Um, so I think that that's something where, you know, maybe a lot of startups are still operating a bit on fuel, um, opposed to having like a, an optimized kind of recruitment process in place with custom questions that's consistent from interview to interview um, and, and are, are vetting people objectively. You know, I think that's like probably a bigger concern for me when people are hiring multiple reps quickly at an early stage is that maybe the TA process isn't, um, isn't built out enough to ensure that they're hiring the right people. And then they do have, you know, fall offs occurring, you know, three, six months in, which God, he's telling me he's been doing it wrong. No, I, that's not what I'm saying. I, I, I like the multiple hires things. I just think that a lot of, a lot of early stage companies get in trouble when they do multiple hires and they don't, they don't know exactly what they're looking for. They don't know how to vet the people properly. Yeah, that's, and, the di- that's the difference, Richard. Right. He's talking about they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know how to vet the people properly. Right. Right. That's a difference. They got, three, they got three people on payroll and they're not, you know, none of them are producing the result. And it's like, yeah. you know. Look, I, have, I have multiple clients that I've dealt with in the last couple of years that um, when I've talked to, it's like, oh yeah, Richard and James, uh, you know, they're, they've been doing sales for a couple months. So I start digging into Richard and James's background. It's like, you know, James has a finance degree and, and, and Richard, you know, has an MBA. Neither one of them has ever done sales. They don't even know what they want to do with their life. They're just like an early stage startup generalist. And the founders are like, oh, you two fuckers, you should go, you know, try to do sales. And so there they are trying to do sales. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that's, not, that's not a good way to roll. That's not going to end well, typically. Right? So, I'm, I'm just huge into like real relevant experience. Like, I, you know, when you start to get into like reading whether or not like somebody is going to be the right fit and taking that risk, I just, at an early stage, I just... I don't know. It just makes me nervous. Like just find the person who's done it before has been successful, has consistently hit a, hit a quota, not just like Q3 in 2017. And they put that on the resume and there's other quota, you know, somebody who's consistently hit goal and can get references from previous direct managers. And, and again, there's, you know, plenty of people that maybe can't get a reference from a previous direct manager that might be really, really good, but it's in terms of at an early stage, minimizing risk and just putting up, you know, if, if, well, if you can't get it, maybe they're the best sales rep in the world. But if I can't get that reference, if I can't see the, uh, you know, the consistent quota achievement, it's just at this point where we're at as a company, it's too much risk. Maybe when we're later stage and we're hiring five, 10 reps at a time, maybe at that point, it makes sense, right?
right? But at this point, early stage, it's like, there's nothing to me, nothing beats like just having been in a very relevant environment and consistently producing results. Like that's, that's just so, I, I mean, just index that to the max, I feel like at an early stage. I want to think about being in a particular environment and stay with that for a minute because I don't know if you know this, Richard, James spent nearly a year in and around the White House and Congress working for a congressman and then in the White House itself. Can you tell us a little bit, James, what that experience was like, what you learned from it, and what you vowed ever to do that they <laughs> do wrong? Yeah, it was a very frustrating experience. Um, I, 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 you know, it was interesting and I, I'm really thankful for it, but it's just, it's weird when you're around that. I mean, I grew up in the DC area, so, uh, you know, a lot of politics talk in general and, and there was just different opportunities, um, you know, given where I was, you know, where I'm located, but uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's very frustrating. I mean, one of the, I think one of the things that frustrated me the most was that, you know, whether it's a congressman, any congressman, you know, they'd have these big uh, you know, press hearings where they would, they would talk about a stance on an issue. Uh, and then, and then, you know, that was the end of it. There was no, most of the time, 99 times out of a hundred, there's no action taken. It's like, Hey, this is what I think. And then let's move on to the next meeting to talk about what I think there. And then I'll move on to the next. And there just wasn't a whole lot. And so that was just uh, for me, I think an eye opener that I really wanted to be in private industry <laughs> and uh, just something that's more so like outcome focused, right? Um, a little bit more action, a little less talk. Like, like but it was, it were good experiences. Too long in the white house. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I, I was, I was practically in the mail room. So. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. It was a cool, it was a cool experience. And at, at the time it was. What, uh, what were some of the fun things about it though? Right. Like I know where, you know, there's regardless of the aisle side, right. What yeah. were the fun things that you enjoyed? Yeah. I'd, I'd say the fun things was just going to uh, some of these uh, meetings where they were discussing, um, you know, foreign policies and, and just, uh, I think the, the, the guest speakers was probably the most compelling part because you'd have people from different parts of the world coming in to share their story and their experience in some different regions and being able to, to, to hear that. And because usually, you know, that you always hear the congressman's like statement, right? But you don't always hear the, the guest speakers. They don't, they don't always make it to the, on the news where they're talking about their experiences, what, it, what it's really like to come from that you know, in that environment and the challenges that they're dealing with anywhere in the world. And so that was probably the, the most, uh, the thing I'm most thankful for is just kind of like being able to, to, it just, it's an eye opener when you're actually there and like they have, you know, it's people from all over the world speaking. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Does that, do, do you think that the politicians are, and I've seen on both sides, so I'm not picking on one side or the other that, does that tell me that they actually do have the, the details to make good decisions but they have to act in, for lack of a better phrase, so stupidly for the news bites of the news. Yeah, I think, I think that's part of it. I feel like there's, there's plenty of information out there, right? I mean, you know, the, and they certainly have any resource that's available to any of us. They, have, you know, they certainly have. So yeah, I feel like it's, it's, again, it's, it's, it's more, more about talk and hey, when I say this, how is that going to impact you know, who's going to fund me, who's going to vote. It's all, it's all based. That's the outcome, right? And that's what the issue, right? The outcome is on how do I stay where I'm at versus 
how do I actually move the ball, like move the needle, like on the things that people care about? It's just more so how do we continue to perpetuate me being in this seat, right? And that's kind of at least. They're always, they're always looking for their next round of funding without actually execution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that in, in growth stage SAS, right? Like, you know, you, you don't execute, you're out, <laughs> you know, that's how it works well, here. Except in Congress, sometimes you don't execute and you're still in. Right, like right, right. right. I think some of it falls on us as the general public to, you know, again, do our research and stop reading the headlines. So um, I agree. Yeah. Is, is that something that you um, take with you now as you as you lead and are in charge of a, a company like faster decision making and that's yeah. skewed towards action rather than deliberating on something forever? Oh, 100%. It, being decisive is so incredibly important. It's I I'm, I believe in the mindset of make a decision quickly. If you're gonna if you're gonna screw up, screw up fast, and uh, and move on and learn from it. I mean, obviously you got to tier that. If you have a decision that could tank a business, don't make that without. <laughs> you know, yeah, you got to make sure you. But but I think generally speaking, it's it's better to make decisions, go all in, make decisions, stick to it, and you can. It's even better to make a decision, and then if you got to change in six months, fine. But being decisive and just moving forward is the most, because when you move forward, maybe there's solutions out there that you don't see currently, but if you keep taking steps forward, then other things are going to appear, right? Other solutions are going to appear, but you got to move. And, and that stagnation of not making a decision can kill companies. And how do you teach careers. somebody, how do you teach somebody or can you teach somebody to make decisions faster and, and live and learn with the results and the consequences? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think you can influence people if you know what, what already influences them. And, and if you can speak in terms of like, you know, their values and, and what they care about in terms of from a management perspective, you can, you can certainly help people become more decisive and uh, tactfully aggressive at the right times and these types of things. I mean, people have their natural wiring, right? But, um, you know, certainly, yeah, I mean, you can influence people. You can influence people to make faster decisions or many other things. You just have to understand what they're motivated by, right? And, and tap into that and help them ex- understand that, you know, what you're sharing with them is going to enable them to get more of whatever they're after, whatever motivates them, whatever feeling or, or thing that they're after. That's a big part of leading people. Is And one of the most important things is that like leadership, whether it's VP of sales or CEO or anything else is like, you know, not only the skill set, right? But a big part of it is like getting people to move with you. Like, how do you bring people along with the thing that you need to do and work cross-functionally with everybody else to make sure they're moving with you? I mean, influence is a huge part of it, right? So how do you do that, right? Like, how, just as for those leaders who are listening, how do you try to encourage that? You know, if you were coaching someone or when you, from your own experience, right? Which even think, goes back to this congressional White House stuff, right? How do you get people to move well, yeah, I was, so that was, I was an intern, so I just want to qualify that. It's not like I was making decisions then, uh, but it's just a good, it's a good experience. But um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's being obsessed with outcome. You have to be obsessed with outcome and that's for growth stage companies, getting people that are obsessed with outcome. Because if you're obsessed with outcome, you, you go from worrying about the politics of, of trying to, you know, and you start to focus on like everything else is secondary. Like how do we achieve the goal? Like, what are we trying to get done? And then what are the right steps to, to make that, to make that happen? And so, you know, when you're trying to move, get people to move with you, um, you, you know, you guys know Jake Dunlap, like he has a lot of, you know, I really like his content and um, 
you know, one of the things he was recently talking about in sales is um, uh, your job is not to necessarily educate. Your job is to get people to move. Like, and I thought like, oh, that's slick. I really like that because it's, you know, you can't be overly worried about like tact and comfort and, and, and all of these other things, you know, your job is to figure out what's the outcome, what's the solution we need. And then I got to get people to move. And, and again, it's just aligning, aligning with, uh, with goals and, 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 and department specific outcomes and just being able to have those conversations where people see, okay, we need to, we need to make this decision because it, it'll, it'll get us to where we need to go. Um, and you just, you can't do, I know that sounds kind of vague, but I feel like it's just like, you have to know the specific values and motivations and outcomes that other leaders and other people of your team are trying to, trying to achieve. And you just got to tap into those and bring them under the umbrella of the, the actual vision of like the company and, and just get people to move, be willing to be tactfully aggressive. You got to be able to communicate effectively, but you got to be willing to have some uncomfortable conversations. You got to be able to push people. Um, you know, you, you have to be able to, to be willing to, you know, hopefully not step on toes if you're tactful enough, but you have to be willing to, you know, you know, you might occasionally step on the line. It's better to step on the line occasionally than never come anywhere near it and not get anything done. Yeah. And I'd love to know, I'd love to know a little bit more, but we're running up on time. Um, before we ask our, our last couple of questions, shout out to, to find them, um, perception, predict gong and lead four one one, our sponsors. But, um, what are those uncomfortable conversations? You got to have those. Is that like, Hey, you're not perform? Is it the standard? We need to have the performance conversation. We need to have the, the, you know, what is it going to take to get you there kind of thing? Is that what you're talking to? Yeah, it's sort it definitely can. And it's, it's that it can also be about discussing, you know, potential fires, like, you know, potential fires and things that could be coming up in the next three weeks, six, you know, six weeks, two months, and not doing such in a way where you're like this doomsday person that's always talking, but you have to be thinking forward in terms of like, you know, these are the things that could, you know, these are the holes we could fall in here. Are the, here's the things that can kill us. And, you know, I, I always like to, to my reps, I like, I've always uh, said, you know, where's the thing that can kill the deal? Where is it? And my, my thought probably, they say, I can't, if they say they can't find it. I say, if you, if you don't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that you don't know where it is. And so where is it? And just, you know, drilling into that. I mean, those types of conversations, performance conversations are important. Like I'm a big advocate, like performance review should be done quarterly. It should be a consistent thing, not just when things aren't, you know, going well, the big part of enabling, get the best out of people is to be able to have a straightforward feedback loop where you're able to share, like, this is what you're doing. Well, this is, you know, you're doing great, but if you want to be exceptional, you know, make these adjustments or you're not doing well, but you need to make these adjustments. I feel like performance reviews are a big thing that um, should be a bigger emphasis for a lot of growth companies too. That was, I love that quote. It, you know, where's the thing that can kill the deal. And if you don't know where it is, it just means you haven't found it. It doesn't mean it's not there. And I think yeah. like, that is probably one of the best questions I've heard that you could do for pipeline. I'm going to probably, I'll, I'll obviously give you credit, but I'm going to put that out early. <laughs> awesome. um, that's a genius line. Um, Thanks, anyway, so we, we got to wrap it up, but just, you know, we always sort of like to end the show of, you know, what can we do to help you? How can we support you with your business, with your organization? Or is there something that you're, uh, a, a project outside of work that you're focused on you want to bring some light to? I really appreciate it. I mean, honestly, you guys have already, you have done a lot to, to help me. I, you know, I follow your content and I really appreciate everything that, that you guys do for the sales community. Um, I, you know, I honestly, I can't think of anything in, in particular. I mean, um, 
you know, I, I just, uh, right now we're, we're focused on, on, on growing the business and, and, uh, you know, client acquisition and, and growing and, and basically taking all the lessons from the past few years <laughs> and, uh, learning from it. And now with, 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 uh, more insight in how to, to execute effectively. Like that's, you know, kind of where I'm at and where the business is at. We're just, we're growing. We made it through, we made it through the, the, the hardest, hopefully the hardest days of COVID and, and we're, you know, we're on track, we're growing. So um, I, I appreciate the, the uh, your ask, but it's, I really don't have an ask on, on my end. It's, it's, uh, I'm just, I'm, this has well, been kudos. fun. So that's all I got. <laughs> kudos to you for uh, successfully navigating the last, you know, nine months or however long it's been and, and uh, you know, continuing to push, push forward. So thanks for spending some time with us, James. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. This has been a blast. Thank you. Thanks, James. We appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.